Welcome to Junior to Senior, the podcast for ambitious devs who want to take their career to the next level. I'm your host, David Gutman. Today, I'm joined by Amelia Wattenberger. Amelia, welcome to the show. Thanks. Uh, So for people who are meeting you for the first time, uh, could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah, um, I have been around for almost a decade now. Um, When I was in college, I originally thought I was going to be a prison psychologist. So I ended up um, after college moving to Texas and doing some research there, working in a lab, um, running brain scans to study learning and memory. I very quickly decided that I did not want to go to grad school or um, talk to people about their problems all day. So I basically just redid my website until I got a front-end developer job. Um, And then the next eight years, basically, we're working at um, two startups. Um, These startups are uh, wonderful SaaS companies. They, They range from... Um, I think I joined as employee number 16, and then they grew all the way up to about 100 people. And I um, would grow with them. I started as the only front-end developer, and that one case, the only designer as well. Um, And I also had that kind of data visualization background from uh, research. So I uh, got to kind of explore the whole range of like development, design, data viz, development and design. Um, And then after eight years of that, I've recently uh, moved to work at The Pudding. Um, The Pudding is a publication. They do data-driven visual essays, and I work on the client side. So we have um, an agency attached to the publication, and I'll work on client projects, um, just uh, doing things like helping researchers make their data more friendly or helping university professors um, kind of spread their knowledge in a really friendly way. Wow. Uh, Okay. Super cool. Uh, So obviously a very traditional start, uh, prison psychology. (laughs) I'm sure a lot of our listeners had had the exact same start. Uh, And then, and then also you've, uh, you've written a book, uh, uh, Full Stack D3. Is that the, that's the title, right? Yeah. I actually always forget and have to look up the order, but it's Full Stack (laughs) <laughs> D3 and data visualization. I'm pretty sure. Uh, awesome. <laughs> yeah, that's like uh, such a that's a topic that's very near and dear to to my heart. Um, so yeah, okay. So that's that is all super cool. So what? Yeah, I I, I need to go back to the prison psychology <laughs> uh, transition. So so you were you were doing research. Sounds like you had some experience doing data visualization then is that true were you working were you working with those types of technologies then yeah i think for most people who do research kind of i guess depending on the fields but um at least in neuro slash psych you're collecting a lot of data so i would take subjects in and we'd um go into an mri machine and then we'd do like four hour long experiments where they look at stimuli and answer questions. And then we would have to take this really high dimensional data and then turn that, analyze it and turn it into figures for papers. Um, So Mm -hmm. there's a lot there. Um, I think I just had a lot of experience at that point, way more experience with data than I did with development um, at the point where Mm -hmm. I started my first dev job. 
So I think that's where that experience comes from. Mm -hmm. And then, and then, so how you want to tell us a little bit about how you got that first job. So it sounded like, okay, you, you created a website and then you were designed and did a bunch and then you got a job, but what was that? What was that process? Like, how did you decide that that's what you wanted to do? How did you pursue that? What were the interviews like? What was that? What was all that? Yeah, like? that's a great question. Um, the funny part of this is that both my parents were programmers and I, when I was growing up, I would say that is the last thing that I want to do. I don't want to sit in front of a computer all day. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, oh, I'm going to do something cool and edgy. Um, and then yeah. jokes on you, <laughs> all jobs are in front of a computer these I days. So even prison psychologists. <laughs> 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 yeah, I, that, that was interesting. But I think just working at the lab, I realized that I wasn't the kind of person who could talk to people about their feelings and hear all these horrible things and then like put that down at the end of the day. So mm. um, I, what did I do? I went through Code Academy, which I mean, this was like a decade ago. So um, there's so many more resources online these days, but Code Academy was really big um, back mm. in the day. And that was really helpful. I remade my website a few times and I did a, um, a part-time internship doing more like user experience stuff um, at a startup, like a really small, like three-person startup um, while I was still working in the lab. And basically I, I was just looking around and I was like, maybe this like psychology hook um, linking into user experience research is going to be like my pivot because it seemed different enough that I would enjoy it, but not so different that I would have zero, zero experience. And then mm -hmm. basically I was either looking at, um, going full time to that company. Um, or I interviewed at this one place and I feel like every other week I would have an interview and I'd be like, ah, oh, that was okay. And then for like five weeks <laughs> or six weeks, I just went through like, uh, a few different interviews and then afterwards wasn't really sure where I stood and ended up getting an offer um, from them as well. So it was deciding whether to go to um, that startup or where I was doing an internship. And I think one of the tricks is like, this is why people switch jobs so much. So because I was working as an intern for this company, they weren't willing to give me as good an, of an offer as a different company because I guess they kind of saw me as like on the more intern level. Yeah, of course. Uh, yeah, that's really common. Yeah. So I ended up taking the start the startup job and like, don't ask me how I got that job. I don't know if I would have hired someone working in a research lab, but very glad that they took me on. Um, and that job was just phenomenal. I really enjoyed it. Do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember what the that interview was like? Or do you have any hunch about what maybe you did in that process? Like, was there, were there any technical challenges, whiteboarding? What were the questions like? Can you think of anything that, that, that you did right or <laughs> wrong? Yeah, there was, um, there was one take home that was like, um, I think it was a login page and it was basically like code up this static mock. And I, I, um, I ended up making it like pixel, pixel, perfect, like going back and forth between that tab and the other tab. <laughs> um, so I maybe spent more than the allotted time. I don't remember. 
on that, but just like mm-hmm. making sure that it's exactly what they were looking for. And I think another thing was because they didn't have a designer, they were looking for someone who has more of a design sense than I think um, a lot of developers. I think a lot of developers will focus only on like the code. And I mean, it's a huge uh, topic, so it makes a ton of sense to only be focused on the code. But I think that startup was looking for someone who kind of had the code um, and also the design capabilities. And I think that's where I really had my edge there. Mm, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, I I think it's it's a bit of a trope uh, for developers to issue design mm-hmm. and really think that that is not worth spending time on or maybe even treating as innate. Either you have it or yeah. you don't. I don't have it, therefore I'm not going to spend time on it. Um, I think that this is largely a mistake. Uh, I don't know if it's really... I don't hear it as much anymore, but there was a long period of time where a lot of companies considered people who could code and also handle design as unicorns and would jump at the chance to to find someone. And so just knowing that, I think, shows just how much value there is spending at least a little bit of time for any developer to try and level up their design skills. And I do want to point out that design is is not necessarily like style or art or this subjective mushy thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of design can be objective and solving like actual problems which which will use the same strengths that a lot of developers have anyway so i don't i wouldn't i would advise listeners who consider design to be so alien to uh to definitely spend some time in it because it is very valuable to a lot of companies and can certainly give you give you an edge uh so so that makes a lot of sense to me and then and then you joined and then so that was your first well i guess you had interned already uh was that was that very different than the internship like what was yeah what was ramping up like um do you remember it was very confusing (laughs) uh basically i joined and their front end developer had left i don't even know how long before maybe a few months maybe a year and so i was kind of thrown in we had this angular stack um was a django angular product and I hadn't used JavaScript frameworks before. Well, it was Angular JS, so Angular one. And it was just kind of like I think I was scrambling for a little bit. Just um they'd give me a task and I would just go into the corner and try to figure out how everything worked. And um I didn't really have any mentors because I was the only front end developer and designer at the company. So it was just a lot of like figuring out what worked, um, working really hard. And then once it worked, um, going back to the rest of the team, like I would work with the marketing team or the backend team. Um, yeah, I, I remember it, it being confusing, it... but really actually mm-hmm. fun because you're solving puzzles and learning. Yeah, I mean, I think I think there is a lot of fun to being thrown into the deep end. I think, I think depending on how you look at it, uh, it can be really scary. Um, yeah. But I think there's also a lot of freedom to it and a lot of a lot of opportunity that that with the right perspective, it can be 
uh, exciting. Looking back on it, do you think, like, do you kind of wish you handled that in a different situation? Do you think that there were were things that you could have done differently? Or um, are there things that if you look back, you can recognize like, oh, I'm really glad I did it that way. That 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 definitely helped me be successful. Yeah, I think um, I think what I found is that people learn in very different ways or people thrive in very different environments. Um, there's a lot of people who kind of want to be walked through something before they jump in or they want to take something step by step um, or they want to read about it and then once they understand it, then start doing it. I find that what works best for me is just like being thrown in and having to kind of dig my way out of a hole. Um, (laughs) So I think that environment was actually a really healthy place for me to learn. And it was also nice um, being able to do so many different things. I was kind of able to try on different hats and figure out what worked best for me um, and what area or part of the stack I really enjoyed working in the most. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, do you, yeah, so what, 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 like, like zooming forward, like, so, so looking back at that to, to where you are now, um, like, is that what you would say or there, or what, what basically what skills do you think have really helped you um, advance from that, from that point in time? So something I think about a lot, um, and it kind of came up when you were talking about design, is I feel like um, a large reason why I've been um, as successful as I am today is because I work kind of between two more traditional fields. So it's both uh, working in between development and design and uh, working in the data visualization niche, which... um, is a lot of different things. It's human perception and it's psychology and it's design and it's development. And I think like pushing hard into those niches, I've been able to um, kind of differentiate myself from other developers or designers. And I feel like that's really been to my advantage. And maybe it's because data viz is kind of up and coming. So it's nice to not be in a niche where um, there aren't many opportunities, but I, I think I would recommend for anyone starting out to figure out what they're good at or what um, really excites them. And even if it's not traditionally linked to their main job, kind of leaning into that and figuring out ways that they can combine those things to like carve out a space for themselves so that whenever someone else thinks of, um, oh, I need someone who's good at visualizing data, their name is the first one that comes to their mind. Yeah, I think that is that's fantastic advice. I think I've got a very very relevant uh, story. So I uh, I've definitely done a lot with data visualization mm-hmm. um, as well. It's it's a thing that I find very very fun. Yeah. Actually, I was one of the the co founders of a, of a meetup in LA, Data Viz LA, and I still have some articles on my blog about data visualization, like how to do. I think I think one of the ones that got traction on Hacker News was like how to do data visualization without D3. <laughs> um, and uh, I, I mean, I remember like I got from the, just writing that blog post, I got effectively like cold offers to interview yeah. at like Uber and like another founder like reached out. It was like a small team. They were like really 
interested in me. And um, so data visualization specifically, I think, is a really, it's a very interesting niche. Mm-hmm. I think, I think being able to, to cross or like do well at both the the development and the design and the data, I think that hits a whole bunch of things that are important to a lot of um, businesses and companies. And it's, it's not many people can do it well. So yep. if you can, I think that's incredibly valuable, but then more, more broadly and zooming out a little bit, um, the uh what's the the uh, the dilbert creator adam scott um, i think sure. i think that yeah i think that's his name um one of the thing that he's talked about i try not to follow him now he got a little too political yeah. but one of the things that that he talked a lot about is that the reason why he was so successful is not that he was a particularly uh great cartoonist like he was not an amazing uh, artist, he couldn't draw very well, um, but he was like okay at it. He wasn't like ludicrously funny, but he was okay. And he wasn't amazing at you know business, but he knew quite a bit. But he was successful because he could combine those in an interesting way to create Dilbert. And he really, he really advocates for finding. I don't know if it's necessarily a niche, but finding a couple of strengths um, and combining them in a way such that you can be the best at the combination of those those things, right? It's, it's very difficult to be the absolute best artist or the best cartoonist, but it's, but it's easier to be the best cartoonist who is also, you know, kind of funny and really knows business. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I, I think what you're saying makes a lot of sense, even if someone doesn't necessarily want to go into uh, data necessarily. But there are so many options that combining a few of them, uh, especially if you've got that that passion and you really enjoy it, that's a really, really good strategy. Yeah, I actually read this piece by um, Jessica Livingston uh, yesterday. She's, um, she talks about how she's more commonly known as the wife of Paul Graham. And she is one of the founders of Y Combinator. And um, the article is called Grow the Puzzle Around You. And I just thought it was really great because she gets a lot of doubt because she's the only non-technical founder. Um, Mm -hmm. And people kind of like refer to her as like um, Paul Graham's wife, yeah, not frustrating. Yeah, all. yeah. But um, her piece is more like she had this really unique set of skills. Um, like she's really empathetic. She's really good at um, like getting a read on someone. I think she called herself the social radar or something like that, which mm-hmm. and she had a few other skills that made her a really unique puzzle piece. So I think it can also be hard if um, you grow yourself in a few different directions too much. Um, I've seen this with developer designers looking for new jobs and there aren't really um, tons of opportunities that already exist. Like you're not going to find many um, job postings that want someone who's like a senior developer designer um, because usually Mm. people tend to specialize a little bit more than that. And um, I just think it's a really interesting message of like figure out what you're good at and then um, grow the puzzle around you like figure out how you kind of make your own puzzle if you don't fit neatly into any of these other 
puzzles that need pieces. Oh, that sounds really interesting. I'll have to uh, dig up that that article and put it in the in the show notes. You do bring up an interesting point. I remember early on in my career, I was you know talking to different people for advice, and um, someone uh, it, it was it was actually Danny Hillis, who um, is kind of well known in some circles. He had a, a company in LA that was sort of like a they made a lot of cool wouldn't necessarily call them prototypes, but they made a lot of technology that just had never really been done before. They like to create brand new things. Um, they would work a lot with, um, you know, like, I guess, DARPA and the military and some other interesting stuff, but also some nine, you know, non-military stuff as well. But um, I was asking him for for advice and I was telling him what I could do. And I think I came across as as quite a generalist. And he told me that when he's putting together teams um, and they're hiring, they tend to look for a specialist, right? Like they're like, okay, we need someone who's really good at this yeah. thing. And then we need someone else who's really good at that thing. And so I, I do understand that uh, if you are too much of a generalist, uh, you won't find job posts that are necessarily looking for that, that combination. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wonder what the, what are, what the answer is because like kind of what I was saying before, I think, I think maybe it's just that you won't find those job posts because people don't like if you if you put yourself in the perspective of someone creating that job post, like that's not that won't be very effective. Right. Because how many people are actually out there? They may not they not they may not really be looking to fish for that. However, if you make yourself known as having that combination, then you'll probably attract people coming to you, which honestly is a way stronger position to be in if you're getting approached rather than been applying to to job posts or something like that yeah it's kind of interesting um so i wrote the book last year and i've gotten way more people approaching me for client work or for jobs or um just for consulting work just because they saw that i wrote a book (laughs) um Mm -hmm. and i think there's also it kind of ties into something that i've been thinking about recently which is um we've been looking to redesign our agency website and you really want to think about um, what projects you want to be involved in in the future and then highlight those sorts of projects on your website. Um, so don't just differentiate yourself to be different and to get these kinds of offers. I think um, ideally it would be more of a natural progression of like, oh, I really enjoy doing this. I'm going to do more of this. And then you send more of that signal out into the world of like, hey, this is something I'm passionate about. This is something I think about. This is something I'm an expert in. And I think the key is just figuring out something that you think you'll enjoy for a really long time. <laughs> and I think it'd be really painful to specialize in something that you're all, like already sick of when all of these offers come in. Oh, man. Yeah, that's tough, though, right? Because, you know, in some sense, people are going to want to approach you for the thing that that you have done a lot of because they can trust that you can get it done. But yeah, that, that might just be the thing that you are, you're starting to get, you're get sick of, (laughs) um, (laughs) you know, I wonder, you know, this is something that I think about a lot is, is how does somebody, if somebody doesn't even really know what they want to do, like, what are the ways of trying to figure that, that out? Um, like, how how should one try and think about deciding, assuming they're they're a little bit earlier, 
what they want to specialize in or or how they want to choose different things to to pick up? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I have a few answers. One is working at startups was just super invaluable to me at the beginning of my career. It's kind of hard for me to compare it to what it would have been like if I had started at a really tiny company or a really large company. But for me, it was a really nice way to try on these different hats. And um, um, the, the only thing was I, you can't change niches. Uh, the first startup I worked at worked on a dashboard for marketers. And so um, I wasn't necessarily really interested in the data itself. So over time, I moved to another startup that worked with publishing data, which was a little bit more interesting to me. But within this startup, I could try on like a developer hat, front end, back end, middle end, <laughs> designer hat, <laughs> like pure data viz hat. Um, so that was really helpful for me to kind of figure out um, what I wanted to do. And especially I was coming from research. So this is just a whole new world. It's like moving to another city and buying a house <laughs> or like <laughs> moving and then renting for a while and being able to kind of surf around. Um, yeah, I, I think I, I definitely think that um, bigger companies uh, have, I suppose it might be possible, but I could compare to a startup where I feel like a lot of startups, it's so much, it's much more fluid um, as long as you can identify a problem that needs solving or an opportunity that you can take advantage of. Mm -hmm. uh, most people are not really going to question what you're you're doing. There's always so much going on that that there winds up being a lot less supervision and so much more freedom that I think that it can be. I, I completely agree. I've loved I've loved working at startups. I love that that freedom and the ability to experiment and try on different, different hats. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think, I think there's certainly a personality type that, that might not do well with that where they do want a little bit more structure. I think I've, I've definitely had people come on the show and, and have recommended that a great place for a junior would be a larger company <laughs> where um, things are a lot more defined and they can get more attention and more handholding. Yeah. Uh, but I think I think I'm a little bit more like you where I've really enjoyed that that freedom and the ability to to experiment and try new things. Yeah, I can totally see that other side, too, with like at a startup, you're not really going to have mentors. Um, everybody's mm -hmm. kind of just scrambling. And also, I've heard I've seen people within big companies move around through different teams. So there's kind of more of a broad scope. So um, maybe I wouldn't have needed to switch companies to work with data that was more interesting to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've, uh, you know, having worked at AT&T and Disney, uh, both not known for <laughs> being small. Um, you know, it, it is it is interesting, like, it's just not as fluid, you can you can move teams, but there's a lot of process mm -hmm. and formality and politics involved in that. And then also what happens in a lot of those big companies is is reorgs happen constantly, which can be really tiring mm -hmm. and um, make you kind of anxious. Like you just hear rumors of a reorg coming. And then when they do, all of a sudden you just get moved to a completely different team, like doing a different, yeah. doing a yeah. different Surprise. thing. Um, yeah. And I just I prefer to have a little bit more agency. But you're right. Um mentorship might be hard in a small company or a 
startup. Like you're not going to have another engineer or manager who who has enough time and things are going to be relaxed enough for them to carefully set out um, a a nice followable path for you. Yeah. yeah. And then outside of um, like, I think no matter where you're working, the internet is just like an amazing place these days. There's people writing about everything. Um, So like even being on Twitter and following people who have different jobs, I've gotten a sense of like what it's like to work in different niches. Like I have an idea of the game development industry or um, like people who work with 3D graphics or people who do more generative art. These are a lot of like the niches that I, I poke into and peep at on Twitter. And there's also like tons of write-ups of people saying, doing like urine reviews or um, there's this site called Offscreen. Um, they have a magazine where they interview different people and ask them about um, their like their day-to-day. Uh, mm-hmm. There's another one that's really good, but I'll see if I can dig it up afterwards. Yeah, cool. Once uh, if you send that to me, I'll also put it in the uh, in the show notes. I think that's an excellent point too, which is that you can get a good sense of these things before jumping jumping in. You know, there's a lot. Like you say, the internet is is definitely there's just so much information. Yeah. People are are really good about sharing what they like about what they're doing, what they don't like about what they're doing, and and what that's like. So that's yeah, that's awesome. So for you, um, looking back on it, it seems like you're you're pretty happy with how your your path has been. But is there is there anything that you wish you had done differently, like any kind of career move, like treated your career any differently, like approach the job, anything like that? Um, I think, I don't know, maybe I'm living the uh, no regrets lifestyle, but I feel like I've been able to kind of follow my heart, um, especially this last jump to a more um, like I'm doing agency work, which is very different than what I was doing before. But these are the kinds of projects that I was doing on the side, kind of in my own time. And then here's the opportunity to do that during work hours. And um, it's just been this amazing opportunity for me to do something that I'm passionate about and learn from my coworkers who are all already really great at these things. So um, I, I think what's been important for me is not like, oh, this job has more money or um, I don't know, just focusing on like, what do I like to do? And then following that and figuring out what lets me do these things the most. So yeah, that's awesome. So if let's just say, I'm sorry, I think going to knock on wood or, or whatever else, like, let's just say your, your company ceased to exist yep. today for, for whatever reason, let's pretend it's a really good reason. I can't <laughs> think of one, but how would you, how would you go about looking for something new what would you look for how would you approach it like what would you do I think at this point in my career I would just look for companies that whose work I'm really excited about and then contacting them and seeing if they would want another person who kind of has my set Mm -hmm. of skills or if they know anyone who um, wants someone with that set of skills Um, I think Mm -hmm. It's just really important for me to like be excited about the problems that I'm working on. Um, and I, th- I think that's something you 
that becomes easier once you have more of a name for yourself. I think it can be harder for junior people who don't have a ton of, um, don't have a long track record to kind of cold call, I guess, um, different companies. Um, so I definitely recognize like my privilege in saying that, and I've also never done it. So who knows if it'd be as successful, <laughs> but that would be, <laughs> but I think you bring, yeah. yeah, I think you bring up a good point, which is that you, you are a known quantity. And so that would let you, um, do things that someone who's not as much of a known quantity would be able to do. But I think that's, that's, that's actually an important thing to realize for somebody who's more junior is that one of the first steps would just become more of a known quantity, yeah. right? Like there's like, you know, I, I think you've put out a lot of really interesting um, blog posts, articles, tutorials that I, I think, I think even a junior would be able to do something similar in the sense that if they got really interested in a particular topic and they, really spent the time figuring out how to answer a question that they were curious about. And they documented their process for like solving that problem and releasing it as a blog post tutorial, something like that. You know, that that's something that could take, you know, uh, an entire weekend, maybe a few weekends, like a week, but that, that type of effort, is incredibly valuable early in your career because you can approach somebody who that would be useful to and sincerely approach them from a place of being helpful. Um, you can, you can find a company who is doing something similar or it solves a problem that they might have, and you can approach them from being of service and of uh, being helpful. And that's a very different conversation than like, messaging somebody cold on LinkedIn, like, Hey, like I just got out of a boot camp. Can I pick your brain or whatever? That's mm-hmm. it's, it's it, they're going to be way more likely to talk to you once you, you show them this proof of work, this, you know, what you're capable of and you're approaching them with a problem that they have or, or a topic that they're interested in. So I think even juniors can, can take something away from that. Um, yeah. now, yeah, well, I was trying to say, I think it also has the um, the dual purpose of you learning if this is something you actually enjoy, um, like for data biz projects, like anyone can find there's so much data around and take it and make an article with it. And if you try that in your own time, uh, thinking maybe this is something you want to pursue and you find that, hey, you didn't really enjoy um, working on this project, then it's a great signal to yourself that maybe you should uh, try something else that you enjoy more. Oh, yeah, totally. I think, yeah, it's, and for me, like that, that signal or like you don't like it or do like it, like you want to find, you want to find things that you're so curious about that you want to know the answer to, or you just want to see it completed. You want to know what it's like to have it built and usable. And if you can have that curiosity and that, that that energy that comes from that motivation where you kind of can't wait to get back to it and make more progress. That's a really good sign. Um, there's other projects where it's going to be like draining, yep. like you're kind of be you're going to be dreading it and listen to those listen to those signals. It may not be that you need to drop it all together, but maybe you've sort of lost sight of that curiosity or, or that thing that's pulling you through and you can just change your change your direction or, or the target. Um, a little bit. I think that's, yeah. that's, 
I think that's really good advice about using these things as a as a signal for, for what you what you like. Yeah. Now you mentioned before that that now you're at an agency and it sounds like before you were mostly at product companies. What's the yeah, what's the difference between those two? I've never actually worked at an agency. It's so different. Um so the biggest difference, I guess, is project life cycle. So um, the last company I was working at, Parsley, um, they have a dashboard for um, publishers, basically just to tell publishers which of their articles is doing well, are doing well. And um, for those types of projects, you might be adding a feature to this dashboard that's at least a few years old. Um, so it's a much smaller scope, and it'll take um, you know, two months to add a feature. Whereas for, um, the projects I'm doing today, it'll be end to end. Maybe, um, some projects are a month long where, uh, you meet a client, you talk about what they need. Uh, you do some brainstorming sessions, some design, um, iterations, you code up prototypes and you go back and forth and then you finish coding it, you polish it up, and you push it out into the world <laughs> and it's like way faster um, than I spent two months, you know, adding, you know, this new page to an existing application. So that's I, that's something I really enjoy. Um, it's been it, it's always kind of exhausting starting a new job. And it so I can't pretend it was like a walk in a park. It's definitely been a year full of learning new things. And um, I think the way you know you're learning is you feel really dumb. <laughs> um, at least that's how I know I'm learning a lot really quickly. Um, so it's like a good feeling, kind of like being sore after the gym where it's pain, but in a good way. Um, so it there's also like new skills I've had to learn for this job, which are like journalism skills and storytelling skills and um, everyone on the team kind of knows how to own each of these projects from end to end. So it's also like way more scope than I would, than I would have when I was working on these uh, products where we would have a front end team of two to four people. Um, and you're all working on different features together. Yeah. So would you recommend that environment for a junior? Like how does that compare to, let's say a, a product startup? That's a good question. I think it could be a really hard environment for someone who's just starting out. Um, I think it also really depends on the agency you're working at. Um, I've heard horror stories about agencies, so I know that can be really competitive and cutthroat. Um, the team I'm on now, everyone is just the nicest person I've ever met. Um, it's an eight person team. So it's like a really small kind of family vibe, which is really like nice and nurturing. So I think newer people could start in an agency like this, um, but it would be harder to work at um, these other agencies where they're kind of like um, putting you up to bat against other people within the same company, mm -hmm. which I've heard mm -hmm. happens way too often. Yeah, that, that doesn't sound mm -hmm. fun. Yeah, the, the way that you describe an agency, it actually makes me think that that's a, a great environment for learning. Yeah. And you also, the, the way that you mentioned, like going to a gym isn't comfortable <laughs> but it is growth. Like growth is not, yeah, it's not comfortable, no. right? Like, like working out, like that's not, that's not, that's not a, a like pleasant feeling. It's the reason why most people don't spend time yep. doing it. And a lot of, 
a lot of career growth can feel the same way. And, um, you know, that that kind of uncomfortable feeling, it's tough to say that that's a good signal move towards that because, you know, sometimes it's not. That could just be like you don't like it. It's not for you and just don't don't waste time on it. But it's just not something that should be dismissed out of hand. Um, And I also do want to go back to, to, yeah, you talking about the agency environment and those those rapid iteration cycles. And, you know, I get the sense that that might actually be a really, really good place if, um, you know, earlier in a career for rapid growth, um, assuming there is place for for a junior on one of those one of those teams, because feedback cycles are really important. Um, This is actually something I talked about at at one of my JSLA talks, um, I guess, over a year ago now, uh, actually on the subject of uh, creative coding. But that that short feedback cycle, like if you if you do spend two months releasing like this small little part of like a new feature um, on a product, and then it takes a long time for the users to actually use it, and then longer for it to come back through QA, and then mm-hmm. for you to eventually get the feedback, like that's not very conducive to learning. Like the the ideal is that you do something and you get immediate feedback, and then you can adjust um, and also the 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 number of iterations that you can do and like the number of things that you complete i think it matters a lot um, there's this story from the book art and fear uh, that talks about a ceramics teacher that decided to grade uh, the like two halves of the class differently mm-hmm. so one half of the class uh, would be graded on um, uh, quality and so they they would be completely graded on just one uh, piece, right? So the ceramics, I guess a pot or or whatever sculpture that they create, um, they have the entire semester to create uh, and theorize and work on their technique and then turn in just this single piece. And then however good that is, that determines their final grade. So if it's amazing, they get an A. If it's not so awesome, it's a B, whatever. Um, but they've got the entire semester to work on this one piece and make it as perfect as possible. Um, the other half of the class is graded on quantity, and it actually doesn't even matter what the pieces look like. Um, it's purely graded on the uh, <laughs> the quantity. So like the pounds of the pounds of of pieces that are turned in, it's of a you know it's above fifty pounds or something like that. It's an A, twenty five B, whatever the the scale was. But what was interesting about this is that the um, the the t- the professor uh, after everything was said and done, every single one of the best pieces that had been turned in came from the quantity group. And there's just a lot to be said by uh, rapid releasing and shipping and going through that process a number of times and getting that iteration every time you complete something, figure out how you can do it better the next time. And I think longer release cycles make that more difficult. Yeah, I love that story. And um, I feel like it kind of has to do with... um, figuring out the right direction before you start polishing. Um, like it's mm. really easy to get stuck in like a, a local minimum or a local maximum. Um, when maybe if you like do bigger leaps out into more territory, you can find a taller mountain, I think is the analogy. Um, yeah. And I think I, I've also had to personally push myself in that direction 
of um, I the only reason I wrote a book is some I read some posts on like doing things before you feel you're ready. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it like I wouldn't even have reached out. So I think like kind of pushing yourself to go outside of your uh, comfort boundaries and like just like produce and throw things into the world before you think they're perfect. I think, um, yeah, it's a great, great, uh, great moral. Yeah, I think that I think that's great advice. You definitely you definitely need to to bite off a little bit more than you can chew or attempt things before you know you're ready, because that's how you know you're ready. You you attempt it and you succeed before you've attempted it and succeeded. You you can't know, but that shouldn't stop you from from doing anything, anything new. Amelia, this has been great. Where can people find out more about you? Yeah, I've kind of co-opted the brand Wattenberger from my family. If you search Wattenberger anywhere, you will find me. Um, awesome. That includes Twitter or my website or um, probably LinkedIn. I'm not sure. Okay, cool. So uh, I'll definitely uh, put that in the show notes. Any any links that I find when I search <laughs> for Wattenberger. Uh, perfect. Thank you so much for joining me today. Yeah, thanks so much. This is great. All right, folks. That's it for today. I'm David Gutman, and I hope you join me again next time for Junior to Senior.